Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Morning. We're reading from John 2, beginning at verse 1. As we come into God's presence in his word, let's pray for his blessing on our time. Father, you are good. Thank you for your goodness. And we know you are present in our songs in our prayers, we know you are present in baptisms and in our fellowship. Lord, may we know your presence now powerfully through your word. We might learn, grow, be challenged, and we might be um, poked and prodded and made uncomfortable in places where we need to be, feel discomfort. May we be encouraged, Lord, to an, open up more of our lives to your spirit. Open up all of ourselves to your presence, and live into that presence um, for your glory and to your praise. Father, this is work that you and you alone can do through the power of your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. From John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother, and it's interesting, if you read the entire book of John, John never names her, never uses the name Mary, always calls her Jesus' mother. Um, sort of the distinction of, of uh, just how he treats the family of Jesus Christ. But it's one of those little interesting tidbits of information. You'll never read the name Mary as Jesus' mother in the book of John. Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. 
What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I do a lot of weddings. I attend a lot of weddings. It's actually part of my work. I have the authority in the state of California to marry people, and so I get asked to participate like I do next weekend at Kyle Bleeker's wedding, and like I do several other times this summer. There's uh, Van Damme being married. There's um, Eric and Christina are doing the ceremony here again after they were married in a small ceremony before Sandy died. All these sorts of things um, I get invited to because of my position. Uh, and I usually, I usually like weddings, the ceremony themselves. But in some ways, I do have a love-hate relationships with them. And I have a love-hate relationship with weddings, well, for a couple reasons. Well, first of all, when you go to the reception... What are some key things that you need to wonder about as you go to reception in order for it to be a good time? There's, there's one thing in particular that I'm thinking of. If this doesn't happen right at the wedding reception, it's probably not going to be a fun night for you. What would you say that is? What? The food, yeah, food's good. I understand that. We all don't always want the same wedding chicken we get every, every time with a little bit of mushroom sauce on it or whatever it is. Yeah, I, okay, but that's not really what I'm looking for. There's actually another key thing at a wedding reception. If we're at tables where we sit down, what's key? The people that we sit with, right? If you don't sit with the right people at a wedding... It can turn sour really fast. And here's one of the challenges of my work. I'm a pastor. Therefore, I'm supposed to be able to get along with everybody. So I've been invited to weddings and at assigned seating have been assigned to tables with Aunt Edna and Uncle Clarence who get along with nobody in the entire family. And yet the pastor should be able to handle it for the next three hours. And it can drive you a little crazy because you know, I mean, you know when you sit down at that table, you're like, oh boy, please, one of my kids call me and tell me the house is burning down so I can get out of here early. It's one of those things. But if you go to a good wedding and you sit with a good group of people, and it can be people you know, sure, it can be people you don't know, but you have a good group of people at your table, it can turn into some of the most memorable fun stuff that you can ever experience. We've had that. I can remember a wedding that I was at. I was up in the hills above Visalia. The wedding party was actually literally 50 yards away in another grove of trees because of the way they had to set up the wedding reception. And there were so many people in that area, but there was an overflow. And we were 50 yards away. It was like we had a whole different party with a whole group of people. It was one of the funnest nights. I still remember it to this day, the people around the table and the fun that we had. If that happens... There's joy and celebration and abundance, but if it doesn't happen right, man, it can be painful. We're in a text this morning where the celebration has an opportunity to turn 
one way or the other. We, we hear from the text that Mary, Joseph, or, uh, Jesus' mother, has been invited to a wedding along with him. And they're at this wedding. And we know that it's, 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 it's happening on the third day. But we need to understand something about weddings in the time of Jesus. Weddings actually aren't like what we think of them today. Weddings like we think of them today, at least the ceremony and the celebration part, that usually can last anywhere between like three to, let's say, eight hours long. A ceremony with maybe a little bit of between time for pictures and then a, a reception, right? So that may last from about noon until eight, nine o'clock at night, depending on how late the party goes into the night. Totally different story at the time of Jesus. We're talking about days, even to the point of a week-long or even more celebration for a wedding. These were big things in the life of a family and in a community. These were times of hospitality. Uh, A community would gather around a family and even make sure that there was enough of everything for a long celebration. People would be coming in, and they wouldn't stay for an eight-hour time of celebration. They'd be staying for days even a week and longer in order to celebrate this. So when we hear about Jesus and Mary being in this, this wedding, we don't know where that falls. It's, it's certainly something we can think that, that maybe it's in like day three or four that we're talking about here. It's very possible. Why? Because the wine is running out. And they would have had enough wine to get them through what they thought was a week. Obviously, things have changed And so this wedding, which can be a long celebration, can turn in one direction or the other, and there's some things at stake. At risk here, first of all, is the standing of the bridegroom's family and the opportunity for rejoicing with others for something good. So there's a couple things here. The family would be shamed in some senses. Why? Because they weren't able to offer full and complete hospitality. And we understand, especially from the Old Testament, that hospitality in God's kingdom is a key part of how he sees our interaction in relationships. To those people who come into our home, there must be enough. We need to give them the best. We need to give them almost a lavishness of love and, and, and what it is that we share with them. And that standing of being good uh, people of hospitality is at risk. And the second thing is, is we know that if things don't go right, if, if the food runs out at a wedding, if you've ever been to a, f- a wedding where it's run out of food, people start to grumble. And people may even start to leave. And that certainly is a possibility here because this was part of the celebration. Wait, hold on. There's, they're running out? Oh, then maybe it's time for us to go. The celebration could have ceased. But Christ is present now, before, before we even talk about Christ's presence, we also need to talk about the fact that if you look in the previous chapter, John 1, we see that Jesus also has brought new disciples along with him. And these new disciples are probably in the mode of wondering who this person is that they're following. Oh, he invited us to a wedding. That's great. But now things are turning. There's some things going on at the wedding. How will he respond? What will he do? He is he 
He's already shown us amazing things. Will he continue? Is he truly who he says that he is? So there's a couple things going on here as we enter into thinking about this miracle. Without Christ revealing his true presence here, this has a possibility of not ending well. Could be that his disciples wonder, well, you came in the middle of something and and you didn't do anything. Well, maybe we won't follow you. Or or maybe, maybe all of a sudden a family that Jesus obviously knows or has some sort of relationship with, maybe, they, maybe they're shamed. Well, to what degree does, does he play a part in that? And there's also a question that we need to ask at the text, and that is, what about Christ's first response? Read it again. It says this, Jesus' mother said to Jesus, they have no more wine. What does he say back? He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Why does Jesus hesitate? Why does he say, no, I'm not going to get involved here. This is not my place to do what it is that I might do. It's not yet. Wait, wait, mother, wait. But that doesn't happen. So we got some things we need to wonder about the text. But I also want to think about this text this morning, not just about the miracle of the water turning to wine, but more practically for our lives and for how we think about this text and also this text in relation to our lives. What about Christ's presence? See, this is partially about the miracle, but also about Christ's presence. Do you and I Welcome Christ into our celebrations and into the fun parts of our lives. Here's what I mean. Are there places and spaces in your and my life where we sort of put up a barrier and say, okay, Christ, you can transform everything. You can transform my work, transform my marriage, my relationships, my relationship with my kid. You can transform my money, but you can't transform this. This is my space, my area. Maybe it's some sort of even addiction, It might not even be that serious. It could be just something that we like to do in our own way. What about something like binge-watching TV series? What about things like how we play video games? What about the types of music that we play? What about the types of things that we do while we're on vacation? Or, this is probably more poignant to me, even as I brought up Korean barbecue. What about food? How do I welcome Christ into all those, what we would call sort of recreation, fun, celebration type of things? How do we welcome Christ in and say, Christ, all of me is yours. When I go to the river and go on the boat with people and spend a week there, you're there, you're present, you are transforming that. When I go to the desert and we go, or we go to the beach, whatever it is that we do, You are present in those things. And even more poignantly, when we're alone, when we have two or three hours to do whatever it is that we want to do, make the choices that we want to make, 
We're not accountable to anyone. Our kids don't need us. Or our parents don't need us. No one, we, we've got time. What are we doing there? Are we lighting up? Are we popping a top? Are we going in the internet to that place? Are we watching that show? Are we finding some sort of gratification that if Christ were to walk into our space, we'd have to scramble a little bit? We'd have to wonder, what does he think of this? When we start to talk about Christ's presence in all of our life, which is in essence what we're talking about here, Christ's presence in this celebration that transforms it, how do we think about that for our own lives? We can isolate our fun from Christ's presence because we just want to have a good time. Think about how advertising execs have taken advantage of this, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What's that whole idea? The whole idea is that you can get in your car and in three and a half or four hours, and the sad part is some of you know exactly how long it takes, you can drive into the city limits of Las Vegas And for however long, a night, a weekend, a week, all bets are off, all no holds barred, you can do this or do that or this or that or be a part of this or that. And then when you drive out of the city limits again, it's behind you. Now, God be praised, I'm hopeful that none of you are in that mindset when it comes to Las Vegas and your vacation times. But where are you, perhaps, in that mindset? Where is that place, that space, that activity, that habit, the thing that you like to relax or like just to have fun, just to take it easy or to celebrate? Where are the places that we are creating barriers to God's presence and saying, everywhere else Christ, but not here. Everywhere else Holy Spirit, not here. Everywhere else Father, but not here. Is everything an opportunity for us to love Christ with all of ourselves? Now, how do we understand this more? How do, we, how do we think about Christ invading our presence with his power, with his love? Well, let's look back at the text. First of all, a word about wine, okay? Now, has anyone ever struggled with the fact that Jesus gave these folks 300 gallons of wine and that that might be sort of something to wonder about in the kingdom of God? Has anyone wondered that? You are all liars. You have. Of course we have. Why would Jesus give a whole bunch of people an opportunity to get hammered? Right? Well, let's think about this wine first of all. Remember, we're talking about a celebration that goes on for days. Okay? What we're hoping is that they're not drinking 300 gallons of wine in a day. That might be a serious problem. Okay? Several days spread out. The second part is that wine actually was not just about a recreational uh, liquid. It wasn't a recreational liquid. It was a liquid of necessity. 
Think about this. Grapes, when you press them into juice, fresh grape juice will last how long without preservation? Not long. Two, three days, maybe a week at the outside. All right? Wine, because it's fermented and the sugars in it have been changed, lasts longer. It's a, preserve, it's a preserved liquid. In fact, we even have the phrase in our culture. What does it say? Wine gets better with age. It's something that is preserved over a long period of time. Second of all, this is a different wine than what we think of. When you go into your fridge and you pop open the little box of wine or whatever it is that you drink on your Sunday dinner... Okay, that's going to be anywhere between 12, 15, maybe outside 18% alcohol. They've done some tests on the wine of Jesus' day as they've found vessels that contain wine. It's a different wine. It's a 8% alcohol content. It's much less. It's less potent stuff. Okay, so when Jesus says, here is this huge blessing, 300 gallons of blessing for you to experience and enjoy and celebrate with, it comes within the context of how we think about that stuff. Think about that wine. Jesus is not saying, here we go, 300 gallons, everyone get happy. He's saying, 300 gallons. Let the celebration in my presence continue. Because Christ makes his presence known, the joy continues. And even more, it's better and greater than it was before. Christ's presence brings greater things. What does it say in verse 11? It's, sorry, not verse 11. The bridegroom says, or the, the host says to the bridegroom, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have too much to drink. But you've saved the best until now. Jesus shows up, gives the blessing, and it's a greater celebration when Christ's presence is welcomed and acknowledged. Christ comes in his presence. There is no need for regret there is no need to pose questions about what it is that is being done or the activity that we're participating in. Christ's presence says, let the celebration continue and even grow. Now, the question of why Christ waits to act. Why does he say no to his mother and then actually perform the miracle? Well, he waits to act because he wants to do the will of his father. And the father says rejoice. You can almost imagine how that might go. Mary comes to him and says, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says, hold on. Why do you question me? My time has not yet come. And then he goes inside. Goes inside his own head and his own heart. And he says, Father, you've called me to be your presence on the earth. Here's an opportunity but I don't think my time has yet come. What do you think? And obviously the father says, yes, Jesus. Yes, be engaged. Christ in doing the will of the father even gives us that little teaching. 
as you and I in our celebrations and in the things that we do, do the will of the Father, the celebration grows. But when we do the will of ourselves and our own selfishness, with our own agendas, with our own plans, with our own desires, with our own passions or hunger, we open ourselves up to the celebration ending. Why? Because of the consequence of our own sin. Not only does this happen, but this whole story foreshadows something important and very beautiful. And that is the great banquet that is to come in God's presence for all eternity, right? There will be a day that we are at the great wedding banquet. And we're not going to be worried about seating charts, Aunt Edna and Uncle Clarence. Because we're going to be in God's presence for all eternity. And in that wedding banquet, it's not going to be about 300 gallons of wine. It's going to be about everything and anything that we could ever imagine to be a part of a time of rejoicing. Being there in plenty like we can never imagine. And not only that, but it's in the presence of the living God who, with, with singing, with rejoicing, with, with God's power and his presence in a very real and incredible way. When we read this story and Christ saying, I don't just give you enough to get you through the banquet, I lavish it upon you in plenty and abundance, we are reminded that someday that's exactly our experience of the a presence with God forever. It will, we will know his grace and his blessing and his power in lavish abundance, much more than we can think of or imagine in this moment. That's what we have to look forward to, and Christ is foreshadowing that in this miracle. Now, for us again, as we think about what Christ's presence is in our fun, in our times of recreation, in our celebrations, well, perhaps we need to ask ourselves a few questions. Maybe you need to spend some time discerning and praying about those times that either when you're with other people or when no one else is around, that you go down those roads. You get together with this group of people, and it is easy to light up. It is easy to take a drink, two, three, four, five, it is easy to have this sort of conversation. It is easy to tell those sorts of jokes. It is easy to go down these sorts of roads. Perhaps we need to ask questions about that. Perhaps we need to ask even more challenging questions. When we spend time on the river for a full day with a V8 engine on our boat, rip-roaring across the water, is that good or stewardship? Is it good stewardship for us to go and say, oh, I just want to have, you know, the juiciest, greasiest, messiest hamburger because I just need a break. I just need to do something that's for me. Is that truly what God calls us to? That's, that's where this gets complicated. That's where it gets challenging. But I think for us, as we welcome Christ into all those sorts of discussions, those sorts of decisions, those sorts of times, events, and activities and say, okay, Christ, this time, this thing, it's not about me, it's about you. I welcome you in. This is your time. I'm going to do an aside, but I think it's, it's poignant. Some of you have taken premarital counseling with me. Many of you have not. <laughs> 
But I always ask a question or actually I give an activity to a couple that I'm, I'm counseling before the wedding day. Here's what I do. I say, tell me something. And you can think about this in the context of fun. Tell me something. After the reception, when you drive to whatever hotel place that you're going to after your wedding, after your reception is done, and you get to your hotel, and you walk into your hotel and into your hotel room, and that door closes behind you, what happens next? I ask them not to answer me, by the way. I don't want to know. Here's why I ask that question. Because I want to know how this couple who is about to celebrate and enjoy the type of fun that God gives to his people in intimacy, how they are welcoming Christ's presence into that. How are you thinking about that? What does it mean for you to welcome Christ into that moment? Are you? Do we? Do we, in all places, in all times, in all activities that we are part of, welcome Christ into our fun, our celebration, the joys of life? Because when we do, we experience a blessing much greater than we can think of or imagine. Are we willing to welcome Christ into our fun and celebration? And what gets, as we are, what, what gets changed will result in something greater because it looks more and more like worship. Isn't that what worship is? It's being in Christ's presence and with what we're doing at that moment and in that time and in that place that we're glorifying God with it. And if we do that in all parts of life, then our worship increases. We also, in this, foreshadow what is to come when we live out what we will know for eternity. As our celebrations reflect Christ's presence in us at all times and in all ways, then we are already preparing ourselves to be in that great banquet that we will be in forever. But there's a final little point here that has some power And it should impact us. And that is that there is something beautiful that happens through this celebration that Christ, by his presence, transforms. And that is that faith grows. How do we know that? Verse 11 says this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And what does it say next? What does it say next? And his disciples believed in him. Because of what they saw and experienced through the power of Christ's presence, there was belief and faith grew. I know that when celebrations are places where Christ is present and I'm a part of them, I know my faith can grow, even through the, rea- the interactions and relationships or just through the joy and the experience of seeing the blessings of God through the people that I'm with or the experiences that we have. That wedding that I was talking about before continues to bless me. Something that I, I share that story with people who were there when, when we get together. It's a blessing. It helps me grow in my relationship with Jesus. And not only that, but there's power even to transform someone who doesn't know faith. Celebration evangelism. What a powerful thing that might be. How are you welcoming people who don't know Jesus into your celebrations? Because if they're in Christ's presence, 
and your celebrations reflect Christ's presence and they're rubbing shoulders with Jesus, do you think that might have power to change hearts? Absolutely. I saw that in a really, really powerful way um, in a particular family. I've talked about them before. They had two family celebrations a year that no family member could miss. You could miss Christmas, you could miss Easter, you could miss birthdays, but you couldn't miss two days a year. One day was Thanksgiving, and the other day was July 4th. I hope you enjoyed your July 4th celebration of last week. hope it was a good time. But in these July 4th celebrations that we had with this family, because they invited us in and adopted us and became de facto grandparents for our kids and just made life in many ways more beautiful for my family and I, they would invite a whole slew of people over. It was 40 or 50 people at least, sometimes even more than that, to their home. They had a good amount of property. They had a pool. They had a basketball court on their property. It was just made for something like this. And we would go over on July 4th, and there would be lots of food. There was this one lady who always made these deviled eggs. And I don't usually like deviled eggs, but for whatever reason, I love those. I have like six or seven before noon, which would mess with your stomach later on. But they were so good. They were so good. Lots of food. Lots of, uh, you know, there were beer and wine available if you wanted to drink. And, and people did. And, 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 but there was something unique. And that is that there, you could just... In the same way you would smell fireworks at night, you could smell Christ's presence here. This was a family that lived their faith on their sleeve. They shared Jesus and Christ's power in their lives in so many ways. Their laughter was marked by Jesus. Their tears were marked by Jesus. I can remember the last time that we were there for a celebration. It was just after the patriarch of the family had died, Tom, and his wife had since actually been remarried. Um, and there were tears that Tom wasn't here. But it was within Christ's presence. And so we experienced the fellowship of God's people. And the best part about the whole thing was that there were always, I shouldn't say always, many years, not every year, but many years, there were people that they would invite who didn't know Jesus And so we'd swim, play wiffle ball, basketball, have a fireworks show, eat food, laugh, tell stories. And these people would watch. And we'd interact with them and hear their stories and tell more of our own and find out more about them. And Jesus marked all of it. And I, I don't know what always happened with those people who came into these celebrations and didn't know Jesus. I don't know who came to faith and who didn't. I I don't know how that all worked. But I do know that because this celebration was so marked by Christ's presence that these people came in contact with Jesus. It changed me so I know it was real. What it did for them, that's according to the Lord's will and his plan. My question of all of us is, do we love the Lord our God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our time, with all our fun, with all our recreation, with all our vacations. Do we love the Lord our God and welcome his presence into all of it? 
Or are there places where we limit him? My hope and my prayer for us this week is we continue through our summer. As we look forward to times of recreation and celebrations and fun, weddings that we might go to, parties we're a part of, other things that we're involved with, my hope and my prayer is that God invades all of them. That where we might limit him, he breaks through the barrier and says, no, that's mine too. And in doing so, our celebration grows and God is glorified even more in how we worship him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we ask that you continue to transform our hearts and our lives. Lord, may we never limit you. May we never create a barrier for you and say, you're not allowed on this side because this is for me. This is mine. I'm going to be selfish here. May we instead, Lord, open up all those barriers, open up all the spaces and places in our hearts, our minds, and our lives and welcome you in to fully and completely transform them for your glory by your presence. May you allow, Lord, our celebration to grow, our regret to shrink. Those things that we look back on and lament that we have done, Lord, may they be fewer and fewer, Lord, because you're present and you're changing us more and more to the men and women of God that you desire us to be. Lord, we pray these things all in Christ. Amen. Amen.